Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look at the Gospel of Matthew. We're in the eighth chapter, and so um, remember yesterday that, that after Jesus had healed many at the home of Peter one evening, the following day, he said, let's go to the other side, and, and uh, on the way to the shore to get to the other side of the sea, the lake, whatever you want to call it, uh, he stopped by two different people who make sort of tentative offers to follow him. <clears throat> and and then today, we're moving on. We're moving as he goes across the, the other side of the lake. And he says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. I don't know how many people we're talking about at this point. It, it, we know it's at least four uh, with um, James and John and Peter and Andrew. And so we don't know how many others are in the boat here with him at this time. These, those are the only ones we know for certain that he's called to be disciples at this point. So, behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. So, if we know, like I said, let's just say that there are four and no more at this point in time. So, But you're talking about something that, that is not a humongous body of water, but at the same time you've got these four men who are experienced on this very place, and they're experienced in, in being there in boats. That, that That's their profession, formerly, had been to ply their trade on this particular body of water. And so, that, but, but the boat was being swamped by the waves, but Jesus was asleep. And so uh, they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. Now, this should sound like a very familiar story to you. It should sound very much like Jonah. Because remember what Jonah does, Jonah goes, the Lord tells him, go to Nineveh and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fleed to Tarshish from before the presence of the Lord. And so he goes, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jesus here, in going to the other side of the lake, is doing exactly the opposite of what Jonah has done. Jonah has fled from before the presence of the Lord. Jesus is the Lord, and he's leaving Jewish uh, areas to go to the other side of the lake, which is not Jewish. It's more uh, uh, a pagan place, the Gentile area. So what happened with Jonah? The Lord, he gets in the boat. The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Here we're told the waters, the waves are going to swamp the boat. Then the mariners were afraid. So the soul, the, the ones who are familiar, who are, who are guiding this boat, who are in charge of this thing, who, who are sailors, they were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so, it's very similar kind of language here that Jesus is in a, in a boat on a lake with people who are who are mariners. There are people who are accustomed to to being in charge of boats on this particular body of water. 
and it's about to be swamped by the waves, and, and they're panicked. The sailors are, the mariners are, let's call them, and woke him and said, save us, Lord, we're perishing. So there's two things here, and one is is that what, what they're acknowledging is, is that this storm that's come up on the lake is greater than their abilities, which would have been a, a defeat for them. They would, they would have considered themselves to be men of the sea, and particularly this body of water, and, and yet now, not only is the boat about to be swamped by the waves, they have to recognize that their own skills aren't enough to stop it or enough to save it. So they are admitting defeat in places where they are skilled and able to do things and where they have much experience. So they're, they're, they're admitting that defeat in coming to Jesus. And, and, but yet he's asleep. While they're doing all this work, while they're doing their best to save the boat, Jesus is sound asleep through this whole thing in the same way that Jonah is sound asleep in a similar situation as he goes to Tarshish to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jesus is going on the offense here. He's going to the land of the country of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes, whichever way it, it gets translated. But, but at any rate, he is actually going on offense. And so who, where's this coming from? We know that in the Jonah story that this storm, because we're told very explicitly, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Couldn't be any clearer. That's God's doing. And it's to get Jonah to turn around and go where he was intended to go and called to go. Here, it's completely the opposite of that. Jesus is going into a Gentile territory, and he's getting ready to encounter demons. He's getting ready to encounter a fierce opposition. And so the, the question begs itself, doesn't it, that at some level, what's going on here? Where'd this storm come from? It doesn't say that God did it in the same way that it says it in the Jonah story, so it could quite possibly be the first line of defense against getting him to come. Maybe what they should do is turn around and go back, and things will be okay. But, but the similar kind of thing, you've got men who have experience and skill, who, are, who, who are, are, see that they have reached the limit of those, and they admit defeat, and in, in the Jonah passage, they're crying out, to their gods, and then they want everybody to cry out to their gods, and so the captain goes down, finds Jonah asleep in the hold, and wakes him, and says, what are you doing, you sleeper? You need to do something to help us. Cry out to your god, because maybe that god is the key here. Here, you get these experienced um, men with skills who are out on the place where they used to work every single day, and, and they're overwhelmed by this storm and can't do anything about it, they have to go and find Jesus and say, hey, can, can you save us? Because we are perishing. They're asking the one guy here who, who doesn't have the experience in sailing to do something. And so they can't, they clearly are not asking Jesus to, to show some extraordinary seamanship here in order to save them. They're not expecting that, that he's going to know how to handle the boat in ways that they have no familiarity with. 
they, they clearly want something greater from Jesus here, and they believe that he is able to save them. They believe that the end of the story is not going to come here on the Sea of Galilee in a storm, that that's not how this story is going to end. And he said to him, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Well, we're afraid because we have a lot of experience here on the Sea of Galilee. We are, we are experienced um, mariners, and this, is, this storm is greater than our ability to, to handle this boat. So why are you afraid? I, I, we're afraid because the boat's about to swamp and we're going to drown. But then he feels, finishes it with, oh, you have little faith. Well, what do you mean we're of little faith? We, we, we actually came and expressed our faith in you by saying, save us, we're perishing. We expected that you would be able to do something that, that kind of goes beyond seamanship in order to save us. So it, it's, not that, it's not that they had little faith. But what Jesus is saying, you have little faith. That, that must mean that they were intended to do something. And they did. What you and I would do is, when I feel overwhelmed, where should I go? Right? I should go to Jesus. I should go to Jesus. And what's interesting here is, is though that the language they use, save us, Lord, we're perishing. You know, he could have looked at him and he said, that's the whole point of why I'm here. I'm glad you recognize that you're perishing. I am here to save you. That's his entire mission, is to save those who are perishing. So he, when he says to them, Oh, you of little faith, then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Now what happens in the Jonah story? What, what brings about the great calm in the Jonah story? It's when they throw him overboard, because he is the problem. The problem is that he's running from God. He had a call on his life, and he's running in an opposite direction from God to get away from the problem. And then he becomes the problem. But God's determined that Jonah will go to Nineveh and be his man in Nineveh. God didn't want somebody else to do it. He wanted Jonah to do it. And I believe there was a reason that he wanted Jonah to do it, and that was to change Jonah and Jonah's attitude. God knew the people of Nineveh were going to repent. <laughs> he had to wonder if Jonah would repent. Because it was difficult to get Jonah to do the work that God gave him to do. Because Jonah was afraid. He, he, he says, I knew that if I came here and did this, these people would repent. And you'd be gracious unto them. I didn't want you to be gracious unto them. I wanted you to punish them. I wanted you to make their lives miserable. They deserve it. Well, ultimately they do. <laughs> But that's not Jonah's job. Jonah had a different job. And sometimes we can, we can think, you know, I'd rather have that person's job than my job because mine seems harder. But, but Jonah had a job to do. And the, and the interesting thing to me is Jonah's tomb was actually in Babylon. So Jonah continued to be there. God did change Jonah along the way. And when the, when the Babylonians repented, then that should also have made a difference in the way that they treated other people because they were repenting of specific things. So here, though, what we get is Jesus is going into the teeth of the opposition. It's not as obvious to us as it would have been to Matthew's readers because we don't know the geography as well, <laughs> but, but they did. And so when he said, we're going to the other side, what that meant was we're leaving Yahweh's territory and we're going over there and we're taking the fight to the other side. 
And so this is the first of the opposition of the, quote, gods of that area to Jesus. We're going to defeat him on the sea. Are they going to perish? Or are they just going to say, let's turn around and go back? It's not worth it. But Jesus instead rebukes the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And so does he ha- what does he have power and authority over? Does he have power over the wind and the sea? Yes, he does. In the same way that, that God spoke, and it was so in creation. Here Jesus speaks to creation as though it weren't inanimate. And it works. I don't know what they expected him to do, but we know what the result is. The men marvel, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Well, if you, if you look at creation, you'll get a pretty good idea who can speak to creation and have it obey. If you look at God's answer to Job, were you there when I did all this? Do you know where all this is? Do you know how all this works? The implication is, I do, Job, you don't, but I do. So when he does this, you should be thinking of of at least those two things. You should be thinking of, of creation when God speaks and creation obeys, and then you should think also of God's answer to Job in that what he's saying is, I, I am sovereign over creation. I know all of it, and it obeys me. Is the same true for you, Job? Because until it is, until you know all that I know, we can't really have the dialogue you want to have. To answer your question of why is going to require way more knowledge than you have. And so when here the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even wins and sea obey him? They're asking a good question, but the first part of it is a little bit different. What sort of man is this? Well, what sort of man is Jesus? He's a God-man. He is the incarnate Son of God. He is God in the flesh among them, displaying his power over the wind and the seas here. Who thinks they control the wind and the seas on this part of the Sea of Galilee? Well, it's the people on the other side. It's the demons, the, the demonic entities that control that area. And so this is the Jewish worldview of the first, uh, the second temple period. Was is that that the after Babel, God divided up the nations according to the number of the sons of God, and you see that again in Deuteronomy thirty-two, that whole idea. And so these are the places that have been given over to these other um, heavenly beings, some of whom are fallen, some of whom are not, but God took as His prize the nation of israel and so as they go across the sea they're entering into enemy and hostile territory and so there's opposition that they're facing as they travel in that place and so what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him in contradistinction to who were they obeying before that's the bigger question were the wind and the sea operating independently Because in the Jonah story, we certainly see that it's not a natural phenomenon, and we can assume that this is no natural phenomenon either because the the mariners, these fishermen, are panicked 
and believe there's nothing more they can do in the face of this storm. It's a supernatural storm. And the answer to it then is also supernatural. And they know it. And the proof that they know it is they ask Jesus to do something about it. They've reached the end of their skills and abilities. And they believe that it's at the end of their skills and abilities that Jesus now can step in and do something. Sometimes we need to see things that way. We need to understand that opposition is not always demonic, but it sometimes is, depending on what we're doing. Jesus is getting ready to go do something truly extraordinary, although he hasn't tipped his hand and told anybody that. But, but I believe that these demons who are in charge on the other side don't want him to come. And they're going to put up every sort of opposition possible. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with this storm. Because like I said, the, the wind and the waves responded to Jesus. The question is, who were they responding to before? In the Jonah story, they were responding to God. Once God was happy with the solution of Jonah being thrown into the sea, then those people were no longer at peril. Only the one who was the problem was at peril. Here, who's the problem? The problem is Jesus and the power that he brings to this place, and he's getting ready to enter enemy territory. And so they do what they can to discourage his disciples in order that Jesus not come and do what he plans to do, even though there's no hint that they know exactly what he intends to do, but they see him as a foreign and hostile power coming to their territory. And so when Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves, they're obeying him in distinction to who were they obeying before. And only Jesus is able to do this. And so they ask the question, what sort of man is this? That's a good question. That's a really good question. What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? They're beginning to ask the right questions and hopefully come to the right conclusions. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.